important holiday PSA. Do not sleep on Old Navy's Jingle Jammies. From iconic plaids to candy cane stripes to merry elves, Old Navy has every festive pajama print for the fam at prices that would make even Santa jealous. Want to match everyone in Buffalo checks, even your dog? Go for it. Sorry, not sorry. But these PJs sell out fast. So pop by an Old Navy store or visit OldNavy.com. You're listening to the Fade to Gray Network. Thank you so much for coming on to my show today, Katie. I would like to provide a formal welcome to Katie McGrainer. Katie is 35 years old and a new mother to her baby, Ellie. She lives in Birmingham, UK with her husband, Dom. She works as a probation officer specializing in working with female service users. However, she is currently on maternity leave. Katie has been so kind as to come on to my show today to talk about her experiences and her story with perinatal anxiety and depression. How are you doing today, Katie? I'm good, thank you, sir. How are you? I'm doing really, really well. Katie and I know each other from another podcast uh, that we both supported for a while, and she is a pretty awesome person. And so oh, I'm thanks. just. I'm just honored to have her on to, to talk about her story. So, um, first of all, you are a new mother, correct? Yes, I am. Yeah, it's uh, very new. <laughs> Eleven weeks tomorrow. Um, which Eleven in, weeks. Yeah, in some ways feels like forever, and in other ways, I don't. I can't believe we've been home from the hospital for eleven weeks. Um, you know, on the one hand, it's like I've known Ellie for my entire life. Um, you know, she's so familiar to me. She also looks a lot like me, so. It's kind of a bit like looking in the mirror or looking at old baby photos a lot when I'm with her. But it's just nothing seems unusual with her, if you know what I mean. Like nothing seems unexpected. She just is. It's like she's always been part of me in some way, which sounds really wacky and spiritual. But yeah, it's really unexpected. I didn't expect that at all, really. Um, Even with kind of the first couple of weeks of struggling with depression and the bonding, I still had that feeling that it's like it's always been there somehow. So, mm-hmm. uh, In talking with other mothers, have they described a similar feeling or is it really unique to Ellie from what you're hearing? Um, I don't know if I've said that to anybody else. I think I said about how, um, like I've got one friend who's got a little boy who um, both of us say, you know, we can't believe how, how cute our babies are, which it seems so big-headed to say that, especially when it looks like you. It's kind of like, oh, yes, I am quite cute. Um, but, <laughs> you know, it's just kind of, you know, I see her all the time, and then she'll pull a certain fact of how beautiful she is. Like, I can't believe that we created this perfect thing that, you know, that I see her all the time, and I know that she's great, but then sometimes I'll just be like, Oh wow! I you just—it's like indescribable, really. And then yeah. another friend of mine said that she's the same with her little boy. She'll just be like, "Wow, yeah, it's crazy." Mm-hmm. Well, I want to jump in and talk mm-hmm. about a lot of these experiences. I specifically want to talk about your pregnancy, mm-hmm. um, but before we before we do that, um, first I want to I want our audience to be able to get to know you a little bit. Um, okay. A lot of my listeners uh, just initially are going to be from the United States, but you're not from the United States. No, I'm so, not. So you're from Birmingham, UK. Where about is that? Yeah. Well, it's right in the middle. So it's in the counties, mm-hmm. the West Midlands, although it's it's in the middle if you go, if you include Wales, you know, so the middle of the whole width of the country, including Wales. And I actually grew up a little bit to the west of Birmingham in an area that's outside of Birmingham. So I don't have a Birmingham accent. Ah. Most people wouldn't, don't, don't differentiate because here our accents are so different in really short um, distances. Like, so you guys tend to have, I guess, maybe more like a, 
an accent for quite a large region or a a state maybe right as is like the area that i work in is um it's called the black country which is a section of um sort of smaller towns that are together which was when all the when the industrial revolution was in place that's where the like the heart of the industry was in in the middle midlands so it's called the black country because of the smoke in the the air from that people could see and it was all obviously black smoke so that's where it comes from and even within each of those four areas the accent is really different within those and then between those four areas the accents are really different so it's there's a lot of um kind of small changes that people from outside of the area don't necessarily notice so a lot of people call me a brummie but i'm not a brummie <laughs> <laughs> brummie is the word for someone from birmingham gotcha. yes i realized that that, that didn't translate <laughs> Yeah, there's, I think, a little bit I just don't know. But tell me, what was it like growing up? Um, I mean, I really, I didn't realize how much I appreciated kind of the local area until I moved away for a while. Um, Mm. When I was, it was when I was 21, actually, I moved to where my now husband lived with his family. Um, And it was a very kind of middle class, white kind of area. Whereas I grew up, where I grew up was very working class, very multicultural definitely not without its problems and not without its racial tensions but you just met people from all walks of life a lot more and I didn't not appreciate it I just didn't realize it was it was a unusual thing until I kind of moved out of the area really and within 10 months we were back because I just didn't like it I didn't like being in that sort of yeah kind of middle class bubble really even though I think I live in a bit of a middle-class bubble now, <laughs> but it's still very much more multicultural and more diverse where I am, um, right. which I really enjoyed. Growing up, I, I'm an only child, so that was I didn't like it, really. Um, I was the only child in my family till I was eight as well. I'm a mum's side, and my dad's family mm-hmm. lived in Ireland, so I didn't really see my cousins from that side. I, this is going to sound really sad, but you know how the term for only ch- it's only child I only learned that it was only child and not lonely child when I was 11 and we had to translate how to talk about our family in French at school. (laughs) And I'd always Mm -hmm. thought uh, the term was lonely child. So I'm surprised nobody took me away. (laughs) People must have been really worried about me. A child saying they were lonely would be, you know, cause for social services to get involved. Um, Really? Yeah, but, you know, it was okay. My parents... I think so. Uh, not on its own, but, you know, like, there would be worry if a child was saying that they were lonely, you know, if they were articulating that to a right. teacher or something. They'd probably get quite worried about it. I feel like that's pretty common, uh, at least in the U.S. Being lonely can be yeah. this part of growing yeah. up. Yeah, I guess. But, I mean, one thing I've learned from my job going to a lot of social services meetings is there are, or, and doing lots of social services referrals as well, that there are things that you think this is definitely going to get intervention and there were the things where you come to a meeting and you think well why why are people so worried about that small little thing you know um mm-hmm. but usually it's a combination of things like a child saying that they would also have some other stuff going on as it was if i was a child today social services would be involved with me i think because there was domestic abuse at home um i mean my parents oh, are still wow. together um miraculously and they they're great now but when I was younger, it was not so easy. And it wasn't that kind of power and control kind of relationship that I've come to see a lot through my work. It was There was a lot of frustration and a lot of kind of arguments about finances. And um, I think my dad felt inadequate a lot and he would lose his temper and things like that. And my mom, you know, not that it's ever okay to be violent towards somebody, but she's a real wind-up merchant, <laughs> if you know what I mean. Like so. Yeah he would get frustrated and that was how he dealt with it and that was not in no way appropriate and what kind of made that end in the end was that he um he broke his wrist yeah I think I was about 15 um so it had been going on for a while um and he, I think he'd actually broke a bone in his hand and not known at work because he's a builder and then a week or a few weeks later he'd grab my mum by the hair and she turned around and as she as she turned around it kind of popped that bone out of place and a couple of others broke so then, because he had a cast and he had to lie as to how he got it, I think that brought it home. And to my knowledge, nothing like that's ever happened again. So that's the good thing. Um, there was never any doubt 
in my mind how much they loved me. I mean, my relationship with my mum was really difficult when I was a teenager because she put me on a diet, much bigger than I was then. So that always makes me laugh a little bit. Um, but yeah, she put me on a diet when I was 14, I think. And I had to do this exercise regime when I got home from school every day. Um, so yeah, all these things. Social services would have a field day now <laughs> with all of that. It's harsh parenting is what they would call it now, I think. Yeah. Really. Um, yeah. Yeah, so, but I've, I've been to therapy, so all that got worked through. That's good. I'm happy that you were able to process through that. When did you meet your husband? Um, <laughs> this was an interesting story. Um, it was while I was at university, but I was actually with somebody else. He, my husband, Don, was one of his friends from home. And I'm, I was friends with his group of friends. Like he was going to visit him in the summer and they came to visit him at uni. And Dom and I just developed a friendship and we were much more similar to each other. I think my, my boyfriend at the time, what attracted me to him was that he was so different from my first boyfriend, who was mm-hmm. controlling and possessive and very laddish, like really into football and beer and heavy metal and things like that. And then this guy was didn't drink beer, didn't like sports light kind of electronic and kind of funky hip-hop music and stuff so he was so different like he couldn't have been more different unless he was female really you know would have been the only difference I think and from a very different background not that that really made much difference but he just was very different but then ultimately I did have a lot in common with my first boyfriend you know in terms of our musical tastes and you know I did like sports and he liked a lot of the same kind of films and things we're from a similar area um, we grew up kind of in you know, like similar circumstances. And then so as time went on, kind of quite a wedge between me and then the second boyfriend. Whereas Dom, again, not living in similar circumstances, but we had a lot more similar interests. So we developed a friendship and it kind of grew from there, really. And so we've been mm-hmm. together for 15 years and three months. Yeah. Congratulations. And, I mean, <laughs> took a while. Not that it took a while once we actually decided, but it took a while for me to get there. So, mm-hmm. Well, and it's so exciting that you've recently had a child. Tell me about yeah. your pregnancy. What, what was that like? Uh, well, <laughs> hard. Um, I remember saying to Dom, this is not a magical time. Because everyone says, you know, <laughs> pregnancy is so magical. And I was sitting on the stairs trying not to be sick because he'd cooked something. He'd cooked some meat, and I don't eat meat, but I never bothered with the, by the smell of it. I just choose not to eat it myself. It doesn't – I don't care. I'll cook meat for other people. But the smell just got to me, and I was sitting on the stairs just trying really hard not to be sick. And then mm-hmm. feeling not feeling like I was going to be sick, but just feeling so overwhelmed. Yeah, so – Basically, I had one week of bliss of knowing that I was pregnant and then vertigo set in. And I thought it was mm. like pregnancy sickness, morning sickness, more commonly known. I went to a doctor who just gave me some anti-sickness tablets, just, just what they give, like travel sickness tablets, really. It didn't help at all. went to see another doctor. She was concerned that I had potentially an ectopic pregnancy, so she sent me to the hospital when I was six weeks. And they determined oh, wow. that I didn't have an ectopic pregnancy, so I had a really early scan. So that was... That was nice in a sense because I, I, well, I got to see the little bean and obviously confirm that the baby was in the right place and there was only one because that's always a, a fear. <laughs> um, and they decided I'd got vertigo. So they gave me some medication for that. Um, and then I was off work for two and a half months because I was just, it was, I couldn't drive. I could barely stand up. I couldn't focus on a computer screen. Um, mm. So when I said to you I had switched my computer on for a year, I thought I hadn't because like, that was around the time I got sick and I couldn't face looking at a screen. I stopped listening to podcasts, stopped listening to music because I couldn't um, deal with audio input without anything visual. So I could watch TV, um, you know, kind of to to an extent, like you know, not not very much, but maybe a show at a time or whatever. But um, I couldn't deal with audio input without visual which I think is partly to do with how I learn as well. Like I, I lose mm-hmm. track all the time when I'm listening to podcasts. Because I find myself sort of my mind wonders because I'm not having visual input as well. Mm-hmm. So I got so behind on all the podcasts and then I was just like, no, <laughs> I'm just not going to try. Yeah, so I, was, I spent about two and a half months in bed pretty much, like 
Mm. I, I'd get up, but then I'd go back to bed and have a right. kind of afternoon nap every day. And luckily, because my husband works from home, I did have some company, but I did feel quite isolated. People didn't really come around and see me. And I think that once, once I did announce that I was pregnant, when it was like far enough along, I could do that. Everyone just sort of was like, oh, well, she's pregnant. That's why she's not been well. So we don't need to worry about her kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And then I went back to work in the July. And then that was okay. But I just was sickly a lot. And obviously then we'd have anxiety as well. I already had depression and anxiety. I was diagnosed in 2007 with depression. And then I think around 2013, the anxiety really started setting with panic attacks and things. So I told my midwife about that kind of early on because I was already taking sertraline mm-hmm. or uh, I think it, is it Zoloft over there? I mean, I, Zoloft is a medication. I've heard sertraline and it might be Zoloft, but I'm honestly not for sure. I think it is. Just because I talk to so many American people, I tend to like mm-hmm. translate what medication they're taking. So I know what, what it is because um, we call everything by the that chemical name rather than brand. Oh, really? That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah, so sertraline, citalopram, fluoxetine, uh, pregabalin, all those things. I've mm-hmm. so heard people like fluoxetine's Prozac. So people are always talking about Prozac and Zoloft, and I have to look them up to remember which ones they are. But I think it's because here different, lots of different companies make the same drug. Mm-hmm. So they just go by that instead. Anyway, yeah, so I was already taking sertraline, so it was something that kind of got brought up straight away really um but i think i would have talked about it anyway although obviously being well versed in having medication having a mental health intervention having had therapy i knew it was something that i needed to bring up and talk about rather than kind of pretending it wasn't there because it is there every day mm-hmm. so i was fortunate in that sense i think that it wasn't something that came on through pregnancy like it worsened definitely I would say the depression wasn't so bad apart from when I was feeling isolated because of being stuck at home when I was off sick. But I feel like that was maybe more, you know, that was a circumstantial thing rather than it being anything to do with my brain chemistry or whatever. But the anxiety, I started to get really fearful of, I didn't mind driving, but I get really, really stressed out about other drivers. Mm-hmm. And I almost wanted, you know, you get the baby on board things for when a baby's born. I wanted like a a bump on board or a pregnant pregnant woman on board thing or something so people would be a bit more um aware although i always think that people should just drive as if they don't want to injure anybody anyway really that should really be the basic level of safety <laughs> you would drive in you would think <laughs> i think so yeah um so i get really stressed out about that and falling i already had a bit of a fear of falling anyway but the fear of falling while being pregnant was like through the roof so like if it was raining things like that although it didn't rain that much thankfully during that time because it had been the warmer months so to go back really quickly so were you able to stay on your medication while being pregnant oh yeah or were you forced to go off no no i talked to a doctor about it a while ago actually back when i had one of my the usual lovely smear tests that women have to have i'd mentioned about trying to get off the medication that i was on at the time which was citalopram about whether I needed to come off my medication before getting pregnant. And the doctor at the time had said that they'd decided medically that that wasn't the best route anymore because it's harder for women to deal with being off medication. And, de- you know, obviously there's, there's withdrawal from not having medication and there's the, the actual depression itself. And all of the hormones as well. I mean, you're yeah. already yeah, going exactly. through a chemical... <laughs> you know yeah flood imbalance um, yeah don't don't take the yeah. one thing that's trying to keep it all together away i i'm totally exactly in favor yeah so they had decided that anyway but then when my anxiety developed more i switched over to sertraline because that seemed to be better for panic mm-hmm. attacks and then that is actually the medication that they prefer people to be on when they're pregnant out of all the ssris they prefer sertraline what how frequently were you having panic attacks so this was when before i was pregnant um like a few years before i just started to get them maybe maybe once a week but then i had a couple of really like full-blown ones at work 
it was actually like Blue Monday, which was so so cliche that I got a serious panic attack on Blue Monday. <laughs> but I was at work and I had to run a group, a domestic abuse perpetrator group, actually. And um, I just basically got into a pissing contest with one of the guys on the group. Um, I was trying to explain something. I was explaining gaslighting, I think. And then he kind of had a go at me for assuming that he didn't know what that was. Um, and then started quoting Shakespeare at me. I said that I didn't think it was relevant. And then he said I was talking down to him. And then this, this young lad started laughing. And I just had enough. <laughs> Luckily, there were two other facilitators in the room because there was you normally do it in twos, but there was a new person who'd come to observe. So I, I had to leave the room because I couldn't open my mouth. So I was just everything. I was doing everything I could to stop myself from crying mm. in a room full of, you know, people who are on probation because they've, you know, reduced their female partners to victims. Mm-hmm. And I was in the bathroom just bawling my eyes out, and I had to call the receptionist to ask someone to come down and and see me because I needed someone to come and try and talk me down because I was in the the area where service users are again I didn't want to have to walk back through there and see other service users whilst on my own crying at least at least if I had a colleague with me I could kind of try and distract myself and um, get myself back upstairs but as I walked back to my desk it just started again I ran back to the toilets and I was crying again I was just like I can't do this and then I went home I got a doctor's appointment the next day and I just felt like I got a medicine ball on my chest you know like crushing feeling because yeah, I want to talk about exactly what these panic attacks feel like for you. So a crushing, yeah. crushing feeling like in the chest. Yeah, yeah, like almost as well as the medicine ball feeling, almost as if like someone's pushing pushing my ribs together, like you mm-hmm. know, so the bit in the middle, the sternum's kind of like being kind of squashed, getting hot, panicky, you know, as in like jittery. And yeah, I went to the doctors and they switched me on to the sertraline, and then. I think I went back to the work the day after, but I'd had one before that, kind of in the summer before that was really, really bad as well, where I'd kind of had flashbacks of uh, that first relationship I was in. I'd never had anything like that before. I I was just in the bathroom and I started, I don't know what set it off. That's the thing, I suppose, with generalised anxiety, isn't it? You don't always know what actually starts something or triggers something. But I just started to kind of get flashes of, the bedroom like his bedroom and like just not being where I actually was mm. and hyperventilating and I had to because I've talked I work with a lot of people with anxiety I'm kind of sort of well versed in grounding techniques so I was there you know saying my feet are on the floor the walls this color I can feel myself here but I could feel hear my heart pumping and my breath racing and I just went back into the office and burst into tears on my colleague and I ended up being off for a week then. And she was saying, you need to go home, you need to take a break. And I said, oh, yeah, maybe I'll have Friday and Monday off. And she mm. was saying, you need to take longer than that, you need to take as long as it takes. Mm-hmm. Um, and then that week when I was off, with, I found out that she'd had a miscarriage as well in that week. And then I kept thinking, oh, I need to go back to work because it was only the two of us on this project and I said, well, no, no one else is there. I need to go. And, and then I had to kind of talk myself down from that and say, you know, yes, she's in a terrible situation, but that doesn't negate my needs. We, we both have horrible things that we're dealing with, you know, that I need to get better. Otherwise, I won't be able to mm-hmm. help anybody, mm-hmm. which is a big thing that we talked about a lot with our service users, the whole um, airplane oh, the mask. mask analogy. Oh, yeah. yes. Yeah. It's really yeah. funny because I use that analogy frequently in my job on the phone. And mm. I had a guest on that used that analogy before I ever got the chance to. And I was like, but wait, I, I'm i the therapist. <laughs> I'm the, I use this all the time and other people are using it before I get to it. So, But yeah. it's true that we first have to take care of ourselves in order to be able to take care of others. Mm-hmm. It is so crucial. And I'm interested in, like, since you're in a different country, though, like, I'm wondering if your healthcare and PTO and being able to take off is better than it is here. So what has that been like? Um, well, I think 
that I'm looking my job like not everybody gets good sick pay like my husband works for a very small company so they just can't afford it really mm-hmm. so what well, we get what's called statutory sick pay if we're in a a job that doesn't have um, a good sickness cover which I'm not sure what the rate is statutory maternity pay is 140 paid a week so I guess it's probably similar to that but in my job I work because I work for the probation service, which was government and is currently private company, but it's going back to government. We get six months full pay and six months half pay if we're off sick, oh, wow. which is amazing. Obviously, if you kind of go off again within so much time, mm-hmm. you haven't necessarily renewed your whole six months or whatever. Um, but I broke my ankle before and I was off for three and a half months, and that was just a a big weight off my mind knowing that I didn't have to worry about the financial side of things. Wow. We don't have, I've never heard of that. No, I know. I, I've never, I know. never, ever heard about that. <laughs> we yeah. don't, we don't have that. I know. And I, uh, obviously our maternity stuff is, it's not the best, but it's a million miles ahead of what you guys What is have. your maternity benefits? Fortunately. What, what's your leave? Well, mine, because I've been working for my organization for a while, although I think you only had to be working there for over a year to get kind of the full benefits, it was six six weeks of 90% pay, then the rest, so the rest of the, the three and a half months, four and a half months to make it up to six months period at 50% pay plus statutory maternity, which is £140 a week, and then three months of just statutory maternity and then I can take three months of unpaid leave as well after that if I want to but I'm not going to because I took a week of annual uh, sorry month of annual leave before and I'm taking a month of annual leave at the end so I'll be off for 11 months in total Holy cow. Uh, but I know that is uh, that is 11 months that's a year yeah that's it's like you have yeah, a child I'm, and then you no. take off for a year I know <laughs> yeah we don't my I, my U.S. Yeah, uh, yeah. friends. Not here. everybody can do uh, that. Yeah, no. <laughs> yeah, that's incredible. Uh, I'm so happy that you. Have- I know. I have a colleague who, um, yeah, one of my colleagues is going back after her six month period because she she can't afford drop her pay that much because she's got the children. But luckily, we can. I mean, the one. One silver lining of being sick for so long during my pregnancy was I saved loads of money because I didn't drive anywhere and I didn't buy lunch and I didn't go out and see anybody. So <laughs> I got quite a lot of savings. So I was able to um, kind of plan ahead, really, mm-hmm. which not everybody can do. Although um, I've got a friend who works for the local authority and her partner works for some sort of fantastic company where he gets sort of six months full pay of parental leave so she's going to go back to work and then he's going to have their baby like for six months which is just crazy full pay as well like I didn't get full pay for any of it but I'm so grateful for what I do get because I know that like in lots of countries they get nothing (laughs) you know don't even get any much of entitlement to unpaid leave do you there I honestly I know I just know it's not much I think it's something like, is it four to six weeks of unpaid leave? I think so. I guess it probably, well, I'd hope that it would be different if you have to have a C-section because of the physical recovery time. I don't think so. I don't know if it just goes into sickness or something. Or FMLA, Family Medical Leave Act, which allows you, like I recently had a surgery. Oh. And honestly, I probably could have worked the next, mm-hmm. I mean, I probably could have gone to work, but I, it was a very emotional thing for me. So I took a week off, but that falls under a family medical leave act. So I'm assuming if you had a surgery, you mm-hmm. might be, I don't know how that works, mm. but I want to talk about the mental health piece here. Yeah, I guess so. How did your pregnancy go mm-hmm. um, in regards to the, to your birth? I know that that is a very traumatic experience for a lot of people. You mentioning C-sections. How how did your birthing go? Not not fun. <laughs> not fun. I mean, I we'd pretty much decided we were going to only have one child anyway. Um, but after that, I'm 99% sure that I don't want to go through that again. I mean, pregnancy was tough, but I was a week late. So they wanted me to be induced on that day where they basically 
artificially make your body go into labour. And when I was at, I was actually at the hospital on that morning early in about four o'clock in the morning because I was bleeding unexpectedly. Um, and so I was worried. I called them. I went in there. In the end, they were satisfied that it was just part of what's called a bloody show, which is like a pre-labour thing that can happen. And they checked and there wasn't any room for me that day to be induced, which I was so glad about because induction can take a few hours or it can take a few days. And I did not want to be sitting in hospital with other women who were getting induced. And, you know, I, I'd like to think I'm quite a patient person, but when I'm sleep deprived and I'm in a noisy environment mm-hmm. and there's beeping all the time, I can't control the temperature and I'm on like a plastic bed, you know, because I have to keep them clean. They're those like plastic covered beds and stuff. I just, by the time I got to childbirth, I would have been completely useless, I think. Um, so I was so glad that they didn't have space for me. No room at the inn. <laughs> and um, at that lunchtime, my water's broke. And it was just a, like a trickle at first. So I called the hospital and they said, you know, just keep an eye on your contractions. If they get closer together or if they get unbearable, come in. So I was timing them and they got closer together to like, I think it's like every five minutes and then the app says, you should consider going to the hospital now, which is very, very helpful. So about three o'clock we went to the hospital, but when I got there, my water's broken. There was meconium in my waters, which is um, where the baby basically poos. So because they're stressed. So then they had to give me the syntocin on drip, which is the kind of last stage of induction. So they kind of went from naught to 60 pretty quickly. And that bit was a bit of a blur, really. Um, when I was having the contractions, I was just, I had the gas and air to start with. Well, I only had gas and air, actually, but I thought at first that it was just going to make me too sick and I wasn't going to be able to have it because it just made me feel really nauseous. But then, and I was actually sick at one point. It was painful, but that bit was fine, really. Like, I knew that bit was going to be painful. I knew that contractions were going to hurt and I knew that like you know it was a means to an end I had to have these monitors on me to monitor the baby's heart rate and then her heart rate dropped so suddenly there were tons of people in the room there was a new midwife who'd only come in kind of maybe about felt about like 10 minutes before so I didn't really even got a chance to speak to her because my contractions were so close together that I barely had time to ask Dom to change the position he was holding my hand before the next one came mm. Yes, yeah, so there were just all these doctors came in and some of them introduced themselves, some of them didn't and then they were rushing me to theatre. They took Dom away so they could put him in paper scrubs over his clothes and they were saying, you know, we may have to give you a C-section but hopefully we won't but if we do, we're in the right place because, you know, theatre's where that's got to happen and I was just thinking all of that, all of those contractions and everything for nothing because obviously if you have a C-section, the contraction's pointless in a sense because you're not pushing and then when I got in there, into theatre, Dom wasn't there for a while and it felt like an eternity that he wasn't there. And so this new midwife who I'd barely been introduced to, I was grabbing onto her arm really tight and I just felt really sorry for her because, I mean, I'm sure she gets that a lot, but I didn't know her, I hadn't spoken to her and I was suddenly holding onto her for dear life. And I had the gas and air and then Dom arrived and that was good. But they'd put me onto a bed, put my legs in stirrups. And I'd read all this positive birth stuff about how you should be on all fours. And that's the natural way. And if you're on your back, then your pelvic bone moves. So you've got something like 30% less space in your birth canal. So I was just thinking, this is wrong. This is wrong. This is not what I'm meant to be doing. This is exactly what it says in the books. Don't do. And then I was being examined a lot by male doctors who I hadn't been introduced to. There was a doctor there that I'd seen earlier in the week, but I felt like he wasn't acknowledging me because, well, he was busy doing his job, wasn't he? But I was just thinking, why are you not looking at me and acknowledging that we met earlier this week? And in my birth plan, I'd asked to not to have minimal examinations and for them to ask me before they touched me because of, you know, previous difficult experiences mm-hmm. with said first boyfriend and second boyfriend they weren't because they couldn't really you know they were doing what they had to do what was medically necessary and they were just saying oh you know she's cracking on which is good that means that I was dilating and they wouldn't have to give me a c-section so that was one positive thing but I ended up shouting at the doctors to stop examining me so much which I only vaguely remember but Dom told me and then they told me it was time to push 
so I went to breathe through the bushes because that's what the book said. And then they said, no, don't breathe. Take a big, deep breath. Hold your breath. Put your chin to your chest and push hard. And again, I was thinking, this is wrong. This isn't what I was told. This isn't what the books told me I was supposed to do. But then she came out. She was coming out in a rush, so they had to give me a cut to help with that and um, use the Vontu's kind of suction thing to help her come out. And then they said she was in shock, so they had to give her some help, in inverted commas, which I later read in the notes was required resuscitation, which apparently is quite common, but was you know very mm-hmm. scary to read and they were you know jabbing me with needles to get my placenta out and then i lost lots of blood so they had to give me a, a needle to try and stop the blood the bleeding wow and then i so it suddenly dawned on me that time was going on i hadn't got my baby <laughs> and i was like is she okay is she okay and then don was asking is she okay and then he was holding her then and then i could relax ish because like you know i was still having you know my placenta pulled out and my stitches done and but I just sort of zoned out then. She was safe and I put the gas and air on and I was just breathing really deeply and imagining myself above a forest and thinking how silly it was that I was thinking of a forest and and how goofy that this was all going to sound later on. Like I was really aware of the fact that it was really weird and I knew that people do have kind of silly thoughts and say silly things when they're on gas and air and I kept saying to things to the doctors like oh I like your earrings <laughs> and um, mm-hmm. the doctor that was doing my stitches was the lady I'd seen when I was there early in the morning so I was like oh hi Mary remember me from this morning <laughs> it was all just very all, like, mad it sounds traumatic yeah honestly yeah it was like I'm I'm kind of laughing through it but I've I've talked about it a few yeah. times and I think it's it's my way of not getting upset about it really yeah because it was. But I'm just saying that was, I mean, looking back, I, I think that you could be experiencing trauma responses based upon that experience. Like, there's a lot involved there. Mm, yeah. That had yeah. to have been hard. I mean, for a while after I was having, especially when I was on my own, if I had a bath or something at home, I would get flashes of what had happened and I'd start thinking about the fact that Ellie was in shock and that we had that period of time where we didn't know if she was okay and, and you know, my mind would race ahead to what would have happened if, if she wasn't okay or, you know, if, if I'd had to have a C-section and if the things hadn't been successful and whether it would have been my fault somehow. So I tried to spend as little time on my own as possible in those first few weeks because every time I did, I'd start to kind of have those thoughts really. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also needed to rest so that was really hard because every time I was on again, again like resting my mind would be racing and my heart would be pounding out of my chest like it wouldn't necessarily be a fast heartbeat but I could feel it beating so hard it's like I was so aware of it um, that I couldn't relax really um, mm-hmm. but yeah it was it was traumatic yeah. I feel because of the job that I do and because of my general way of not wanting to take up space and inconvenience people I'm always hesitant to use words like trauma about my own experiences but I have to acknowledge that it was you know I'm in a a, like a Facebook group for birth trauma and lots of people have had very similar experiences Mm -hmm. and I think the thing for me that made it worse was the fact that I had all this positive birth movement stuff in my head about how things should be and all the all the rights I've got and all of the kind of distrust of medical professionals because they're a bit trigger happy with cutting this and jabbing needle jabbing you with needles for that. And ultimately they know what they're doing. <laughs> you know, they do it they birth several babies a day, you know, and they've all been doing it for years mm-hmm. and they might be a bit kind of quick to do certain things, but that's because they've got the experience to know and I don't necessarily think it's ever been a bad thing when they've acted. Um, Obviously, it certainly wasn't a bad thing when they acted with me because they clearly saved Ellie's life at the very Mm -hmm. least. I don't know about mine. I I assume I would have been okay if if things hadn't gone well, but obviously I lost a lot of blood, yeah. I didn't know until a couple of days later that it was a litre. They just said I'd lost some blood and that I was a bit anemic. turns out I was quite anemic and I'd lost a litre of blood. Yeah, so and then afterwards I had the wife, not midwife, sorry, a maternity assistant helping me again in inverted commas 
to breastfeed and touched me without asking me if it was okay, pinched me, got, got sore, and then that made me struggle with, with feeding. And then so I ended up giving Ellie some formula, which I was okay to do, but then certain midwives were funny about me giving her formula because, you know, that's just what you need <laughs> when, right. when you're like sleep deprived and in agony and, you know, got stitches and a catheter and, and a tiny human next to you and you just want to make sure they're okay. You definitely want judgment from a midwife. I've never known a, a field of medicine that is so subject to people's opinions between midwives and doctors as to what the right thing is to do and what the wrong things are. And, um, mm-hmm. yeah, it's mad really. I think it's awesome that you had a midwife. I mean, I know what a midwife is, mm-hmm. um, but it, I don't know how. I don't think that's very common. I know that, that's how it is US. here. It's it's all midwife midwife led. Is it? Um, so you have a community midwife allocated to you who does mm-hmm. your kind of kind of every month or so. You see them and they do your checks and check the heart rate of the baby. Although I was actually having um, more regular scans because I had fibroids on my womb. So I had to make mm. sure that they weren't blocking anything. Um, so I had a scan kind of every month, which was, again, nice because I got to see her more often. Um, and I already knew that she would look like me because I could see from her profile that she had this nose and lip line <laughs> that I've got, which was really nice. It's midwife-led. Um, things like doulas and stuff are quite quite a new thing over here. Um, and they're normally like they're in addition to a midwife. And doctors get involved if there's a C-section or if you go to theatre. Otherwise, you could have a delivery with just midwives, usually. And when you say theater, is that like the OR, like the emergency room? Yeah. Like the yeah, operation yeah. room? Operating okay. theater, yeah. Is that not what you call it? <laughs> we call it an operation room. The oh, OR. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, I should well, I mean, at least that's what we call it in hospitals. Now, at an OBGYN, yeah. you know, they might call it something different. Oh, it's actually at a hospital. Um, was it? Because we do have some, in England, we have some um, separate like birth suites they're called and they're in different buildings but as it happens my local one the birth suite is in the same building as the rest of the women's hospital and I actually was in a delivery room rather than the birth suite because of the meconium and um, kind of previous concerns about reduced movement so I was in kind of the more medical room rather than the um, they describe it as a bit like a hotel room with Ikea furniture the birthing suite, although I never went in, so I never saw it. But, you know, they still were able to kind of dim the lights and there were nice pictures on the ceiling and stuff, so they try and make it as comfortable as possible, even though you're in a medical environment. But then obviously an operating room theatre is is an operating room, you know, it's all the same clinical, big bright light. How has your mental health been post-birth? It's better now. It wasn't good to start with. I mean, there is always a kind of about like three to five days after birth there's an expected sort of change of emotions and rush of hormones and and they expect mothers to get very upset about everything but I was already kind of feeling that way anyway um and I and it lasted longer than just that one day so I was I was already aware that it could happen obviously because of my, my previous experience and with having um perinatal anxiety so I was watching out for it and I was kind of trying to decide whether it was just the normal hormones or whether it was more, but I would kind of, I still do to an extent dread of me. Like the weekend, my husband and I are together. We've, we've got this together and in the day he's at work, he's still at home. So he is here, but I sort of am a bit like, what am I going to do? for the whole day how am I going to entertain this child all day um she's a very alert child as well which is lovely but also means that I'm have to be on kind of constantly off work but obviously a lot of it did fall to me in terms of feeding and and I didn't want to uh, rely on him too much which is silly but I had this idea in my head you know that there were there are single mothers out who have to do it on their own so I should be able to do it on my own even though I don't have to you know just in case just in case what I don't know you know our marriage is strong I don't anticipate him popping off anytime soon but 
I just had this idea that I had to be able to do it all on my own because other people have to. So it's only right. Hmm. And I felt guilty every time I wanted hmm. him to take her away from me. And I, I felt like I knew I loved her, but I didn't feel like I had to have her with me all the time. So then I worried that I wasn't bonding with her as much as I should be, you know. Whereas now, you know, I'll go and have a nap which is great, but I do miss her a little bit. Like, I wake up and be like, oh, it's time for me to go and see Ellie now. And or and if she's asleep downstairs, I kind of think, oh, I can't give her a cuddle yet because I don't want to wake her up. And that's not every every single time. Sometimes I'm like, yes, I've got a bit more time to have a break and I can have a cup of coffee. And, you know, if I get her to sleep in the day, it's, it's just it's a miracle and it's great and I can lie down and I'm just always kind of thinking, no, Am I going to get too comfortable and then she's going to wake up or have I got time to have a little snooze? It's a bit of a bargaining thing. But, yeah, to start with, I just felt guilty all the time that I was having, if I had a break. Even though, you know, I had to have a bath and I had to have a shower. I had stitches, so I had to every every day, if not twice a day, have a bath to make sure my stitches stayed clean. And um, and I was just like with the hormones and with the milk coming in for breastfeeding as well. I just sweated constantly all night. So I needed one anyway. But it was almost like that was like a luxury that I was affording myself. Even now, really, like I feel like the time I get to myself is when I have a bath or a shower and when I have a nap. Like I don't do anything on my own for myself. This is the probably the first thing I've done really. I went to the shop the other day to get Dom milk because he encouraged me to leave the house on my own for five minutes. <laughs> Other than that, the only time I've been out on my own was to get medication. Might I challenge that a little bit? To look at some yeah. ways... challenge what? Well, to look at some ways of doing some things for self-care. Because Oh yeah, I know I, I should. <laughs> you know, this is the whole thing. Is that you're not just living your life you're raising another human being okay like mm. you literally are taking care of and helping primarily raise a a tiny human being you also really need to make sure that you're taking care of yourself because if you're not doing stuff for self-care and really you know investing in things you enjoy you you can't be fully present you know yeah, absolutely. I do know. I think that I've I've been working with this um, it's a local charity called Acacia. They're actually a Christian based mm-hmm. charity, but they don't kind of push that on people unless you know they talk about that with people who who, who want to. Um, but they're a charity that were formed by two women who had postnatal depression and wanted there to be a service for women who you know, we're in that situation. So I started working with them when I was pregnant and now I still work with them. They have telephone calls and I go up there once a week. But it was having those calls in the weeks just after I had Ellie that were, were so important really that they were saying to me, you've got to look after yourself. You know, you, you've got to have this time. You've got to rest because if you, if you don't rest, you won't be alert enough and you won't be well enough. You'll get you'll get sick, you won't be able to look after your child. And you know, I know that because as I say, we we do that all the time with people at work using that um oxygen mask analogy. But it's um I'm a sh- I imagine you probably get it sometimes as well. Like you can give out all the best advice but you don't necessarily take it yourself. Because somehow we, we're meant to be superhuman, aren't we? Because we know all this. Because we're right. the ones who, who um, give the advice. We're meant to be superhuman mm-hmm. and not have to have to take it. <laughs> and, and I, you know, I've, over time I have found ways to uh, do things that I enjoy. I just tend to do them while I'm feeding Ellie or something. So I'm still doing something for her. But I'm, you know, I watched all of The Office in 22 days, which was uh, really pretty good. <laughs> That's an accomplishment, yeah. and I'd never, wa- I'd never watched it before. Probably the best 22 days you've ever had, right? Yeah, it was amazing. Like I can't, I, I'm so shocked at myself that it took so long to watch it. But it was, do you know what? It's relevant because it was so. Um, when uh, spoilers, but when Pam had her baby mm-hmm. when she was pregnant mm-hmm. and when she had the baby it was so real you know for a comedy show they could right. have really glossed over stuff or they could have just made a joke of things um but they were so real and funny in because things do have their silly moments like the breastfeeding is so bizarre it, you know it's like nothing 
there's nothing about having a baby that's like having and doing anything else you know you can't right. prepare yourself for it and things about like when she's watching the, the video kind of over and over again making herself cry that it's, a, it's an advert for something isn't it I think like a, a telephone advert or something she's watching at work she's kind of like making herself cry and Jim's like why are you doing that to yourself and it's just yeah, you, somehow you need that release sometimes when you're pregnant like you've got all this pent-up emotion almost you want to just watch something so the the tears come out I mean I used to cry at Disney songs I'd put Disney songs on because as I said I'd struggled with music and podcasts and things when I got vertigo and a lot of the music that I used to listen to I didn't really want to listen to and then because of being pregnant and knowing that the baby could hear things I wanted sort of positive things and then we could listen to together when she was born so I was listening to Disney songs and I was in the shower listening to the Aristocats everybody wants to be a cat bawling my eyes out I mean that's such a happy song but I just was yeah beside myself in tears <laughs> so Aww. it was really good that like, they had that um, kind of really realistic representation of pregnancy and and birth and kind of after in the hospital and that kind of moment when when the breastfeeding works and she's like we've got it that was really nice so yeah so yeah i watched all of the office um i eat a lot of snacks that's one thing i have not been bothered about i mean I, you know i don't really want my clothes to get tighter because i just like being able to wear my normal clothes again but uh, i'm not thinking about you know trying to eat to lose weight or anything like that like i'm trying to have a varied diet and be balanced but i'm also eating you know no end of now vegan chocolate because of uh, cutting out the dairy but yeah I'm not I'm not worrying about what I eat and things like that so food is a bit of a joy thing for me as well so I am doing that for myself good good and I have a lot of visitors now you you do yeah I didn't at first and that was hard because in the first couple of weeks, like she was born on the 15th of December, so everyone was prepping for Christmas. People had got their children off school. Lots of people had coughs and colds, so people didn't want to come round, which I appreciated. Um, but it was hard because I didn't get a lot of visitors in those first couple of weeks. Even my family really had to kind of wave at them over WhatsApp and be like, you can come over if you want to, you know? Yeah, so but since then I've had probably at least once one or two visitors every week since then which has been nice that's awesome yeah that people are checking up on you because i think that having a strong support system is also very very crucial it's not just taking care mm. of yourself but also surrounding yourself with people it's, it's important yeah and what's been great is that like a lot of the people who've been to visit me are people who've got children and they've they have asked how i am you know and they want to know mm -hmm. how i am and it's not all just a but oh, let me cuddle the baby which yeah. I haven't necessarily got from family so much because they're super excited that there's finally a child in the family because I, I'm I'm the oldest cousin and all my other cousins are boys they don't have partners they're probably not going to have children anytime soon and with me being 35 you know they've all waited a hell of a long time the way they put it <laughs> yeah so she's lovely and funny mm -hmm. and brilliant but I wouldn't mind them sort of asking how I am a bit more. <laughs> really. Yeah. No, I hear you there. And that's why, you know, we get to choose who we let around and mm -hmm. who we bear our soul to. And yeah. I'm really happy that you have people that you can trust and, and do check up on you in that way. Yeah. Kind of looking here forward for our listeners, especially if we have any um, people who are listening who have a predisposition to anxiety or depression and are considering having a baby or are pregnant, um, what advice would you have for them? I mean, we just talked about some great coping strategies and skills and things that you're doing for you, but mm -hmm. what, would you, what would you recommend to someone in that situation? I think if, if someone's already experiencing it or if they, um, if they are already taking medication, I would say it's a fight to stay on the medication to start with because I did try to like way before I was pregnant back when I was on different medication I tried to come off it and it clearly wasn't right for me to not be on it because there's a reason why I was taking it you know if someone's diabetic mm -hmm. they can take insulin their entire lives and no one ever thinks oh you should try and get off that insulin you know but mm -hmm. with antidepressants people think oh that's a surely a short-term solution and you shouldn't you, you know it's just circumstantial and you don't need something to kind of fix your brain chemistry but actually 
the whole purpose of SSRIs is that they, you know, sort out your serotonin reuptake. And without that, your serotonin goes through your system too quickly and you don't get time to appreciate it. And that's, that is literally a chemical thing that you can't control no matter how happy, in inverted commas, your life circumstances are, or how sorted you are. Sometimes you just need that medical help, which people have for physical ailments all the time and nobody ever questions that. Mm-hmm. So I'd say that if someone's already on medication, they really need to fight to to stick to it, really, because ultimately you're the person. I know that's that sounds kind of callous, but you're the one who's already in the world, if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. And you've got to be able to stay in it, because if mm-hmm. you feel like you want to leave it while you're while you're carrying a child, that's not good for either of you. You know, if you Agreed. have regret or fear all the time I mean I used to think even though I wanted a child and it was planned and I was on my medication there were moments where I thought what have I done I can't do this maybe I should go and you know change this situation Hmm. go and get some some other kind of medical intervention and and fix it before it's too late you know and it was only a fleeting thought and I never planned anything but the thoughts were there and that was with medication because of how anxious I was about messing it all up so if someone feels that way and they're not taking the medication that was helping them i can't imagine it really mm-hmm. i mean you wouldn't expect a diabetic person who got pregnant to come off their insulin that's always the the, the example i use really because it's life-saving isn't it right so, it just depends on what its impact is on the child which i don't know i think they basically decided it was minimal really i mean all throughout my pregnancy when i was sick and when i had pain ellie was fine you know all of her mm-hmm. scans she was fine she was growing well no concern she's come out with 10 fingers and 10 toes and and you know she wasn't jaundiced she was really healthy from birth and she's been healthy since then she's had her vaccinations and she had you know the usual reaction to those and didn't have anything concerning going on after that she's a happy healthy little baby tearful and gets upset because she's a baby and you know (laughs) everything's new but certainly me i was on loads of medication because i had to take medication for the vertigo i take medication for allergies i had to take iron tablets and she's come out perfectly well and there there are medications that you can't take i had to switch my allergy tablets because the ones that i was on previously you couldn't have while pregnant as a workaround mm. for most of these things, you know, and the medication that I'm on, sertraline, is the one that they um, prefer pregnant women to be on because they've decided that's, I don't know, the best one or they've tested it the most or I don't really know. I mostly just go on Wikipedia and check that because uh, <laughs> they have the little, um, yeah. you know, the ratings on there about pregnancy. And there's um, there's actually some really good websites the breastfeeding network and things like that that tell you whether there's any kind of concerns about medication during breastfeeding or or pregnancy um and maybe alternatives to have if you if you do need to take some medication for whatever it might be and in terms of other kind of advice for people who are struggling just to wait until you're ready like I'm 35 now, so I was 34 when I got pregnant. I originally wanted to have children before I was 30. And then I broke my ankle in 2013 and kind of had this whole meltdown, really. <laughs> like, I I realised that life wasn't going how I wanted it to, and I wanted to experience different things, and I wanted to travel, and um, and I felt really low. And that was partly to do, I think, with the people I was surrounding myself with and the fact that I was stuck at home with a broken ankle. And- mm-hmm. But I had to reevaluate a lot and then kind of come back around to it when I was ready. And nowadays people aren't so down on older women having, I mean, I know I'm not old, but having children, you know, I used to talk about it before I got pregnant saying, I know I'm getting getting on a little bit. And then people would start saying, no, 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 I didn't have my children until I was sort of 37, 38. Whereas kind of a few, even just a few years ago, it was kind of, oh, you know, time's ticking on. You got to pop those babies out before you get too old. <laughs> Physically, I don't think I'm at my peak, but that's just just to do with how unfit I am. Yeah, just give yourself the time. Don't rush into it because you feel like you've got to have children. 
you know, come round to it when your circumstances fit what you want, really. Because mm-hmm. it is it is massive thing. <laughs> it's huge. Yes. yes, it is. Well, I do know that um, as many as one in five women will experience perinatal mood and anxiety disorders, including prenatal and postpartum depression. Mm-hmm. And in America... Um, about 8% of women take antidepressants during pregnancy. Mm, so, that's not many. Well, it depends on how many of the women who are pregnant are taking antidepressants. That mm. number might already be very low. Yeah, yeah. So I don't know what that comparison rate is. But I, I would say that this is pretty common, all in all, just given the hormone flood that women go through during pregnancy in and of itself Mm -hmm. i think it already adds a lot to things so i don't think it's a far stretch to then be experiencing the anxiety or depression especially with the traumatic birthing experience Mm -hmm. like you've had and i just really want to thank you katie for coming on today I have thoroughly enjoyed this conversation, and I think that a lot of people will be able to relate to this. Um, as we kind okay. of wrap up, is is there anything else you'd like to add? Thank you for having me. First of all, I've I have also enjoyed talking to you, and I think that your questions were really, um, you know, directive in in a positive way to, mm-hmm. you know, be able to show the story really. And I really appreciate you giving me the time to talk through my birth story because I know it's not brief. No, but it's it's important, and it's yeah, an, it's something you've survived. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah, literally. Um, I think just for people to know that, you know, if they're worrying, and we have to stand up generally, but for mental health as a thing that is important to talk about, just as as important as physical health, mm-hmm. because it's not just about you thinking differently or you know sometimes it can be there's a place for cognitive behavioral therapy and things like that but it's not just about you trying to be more positive or you know that that you feel bad because you're you know you're putting a negative spin on things it's it's recognized as a medical condition whatever mental health issue it is mm-hmm. and we need to stand up for that and then yeah as pregnant people as parents we need to stand up for ourselves to remember that we're as important as the child because we are all humans in our own right all individuals and as people who are caregivers we've got to like you say be in a place in ourselves self-care wise health wise to be able to look after somebody you know you wouldn't if you had a pet which is you know a commitment but a different commitment you would have you would put yourself you would have to put yourself first wouldn't you you wouldn't like not eat right, um, right. <laughs> you know right um i would eat before manelli would get food yes yeah, this would exactly. happen beautiful as manelli is you know you, you have to put yourself first and yes. it's even even more the case i think with a child because it required because they are so so dependent on you and that's scary, you know, natural parent worrying and being too anxious about things. You know, like there are some things that everybody worries about. And then you're up at three o'clock in the morning Googling symptoms, right. convincing yourself that your child has got seizures. She doesn't. So when you're worrying about things, you need to talk to people. I think it's so crucial. Having that mm-hmm. support system and being able to reach out for help is huge. Yeah. And... I'm a guy and I don't know much about pregnancy, but I know quite a bit about mental health mm-hmm. and pregnancy can be very traumatizing. Um, yeah. There is a lot that is happening to you physically and mentally in this process. And so um, having that support system is crucial. And here at Mental, I will just throw this out because I don't know when this episode will officially air. But part of what I am hoping to create is a community, and through that community, um, connections where you can have real and honest conversations. Now, I want to encourage you to talk to the people 
um, that are closest to you um, and that you trust and know personally, but do know that um, here at Mental, there will also be a place for you to share and reach out if needed. And with that, Katie, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you, sir. It is my hope that this episode was as helpful and engaging for you as it was for me. As a man, I'm not the most knowledgeable about pregnancy, and this was truly a learning experience for me, and I just want to really give a shout out to Katie for coming on and being so vulnerable. That really is one of my missions here at Mental, and if you are struggling or if you need someone to talk to, I want you to know that here at Mental, we have a free community that you can join. Um, please feel free to reach out to me at mental.ftg at gmail.com or look up Mental on Facebook. Um, a simple reaching out to me and I can get you plugged in into a Facebook community as well as a Marco Polo community. And with that, I hope that you have an excellent week and thank you for listening. Science proves quality sleep is vital to your mental, emotional, and physical health. The Sleep Number 360 Smart Bed senses your movements and automatically adjusts to help keep you both effortlessly comfortable. And it's temperature balancing, so you stay cool. So you're at your best for yourself and those you care about most. Life-changing sleep, only from Sleep Number. Don't miss our weekend special. Save 50% on the Sleep Number 360 Limited Edition Smart Bed plus special financing ends Monday. To learn more, go to sleepnumber.com. Special financing subject to credit approval. Minimum monthly payments required. See store for details. Important holiday PSA. Do not sleep on Old Navy's Jingle Jammies. From iconic plaids to candy cane stripes to merry elves, Old Navy has every festive pajama print for the fam at prices that would make even Santa jealous. Want to match everyone in Buffalo checks, even your dog? Go for it. Sorry, not sorry. But these PJs sell out fast. So pop by an Old Navy store or visit oldnavy.com.